This edition of Untold is with luxury travel market and community builder, Mr. Serge Deve. Serge talks about his early career and how following financial management studies at university, which should have led him to a career investment banking, instead saw him join the Ministry of Finance to hold a wide variety of international events promoting France's many greatest exports, including fashion, technology, and French gastronomy all over the globe. Following such a successful event in the UAE, Serge was headhunted by the government of Dubai and subsequently became a deputy director in Paris, where continued success led to the government asking Serge to also take up the reins for promoting Dubai tourism. With Serge's passion for pleasing people, the move into the travel industry was inspired. Amongst the travel landscape, Serge spotted a gap in the market and with both the vision and fortitude launched what has become an iconic show, ILTM on the Côte d'Azur in Cannes. Following the show's tremendous success, Serge expanded the show, taking it into Shanghai with ILTM Asia in 2008. Following the sale of ILTM to Reed Exhibitions, Serge did not slow down and has become even more prolific, with successful shows under his company banner, This Is Beyond, including Ellie Miami, We Are Africa, Pure Life Experiences, and Further East. Serge covers all of these shows with tremendous illustrative narrative and conveys with passion how these events are driven by purpose and how they have built genuine communities. Never standing still and always innovating, Serge also talks about 2021 plans and the recent announcement of This Is Beyond Private Members Club called The House of Beyond, www.thehouseofbeyond.com, as well as hinting at three new events that will launch within the year. Watch this space and enjoy. Serge Deve, pure genius. Thank you so much, Serge, for your valued time, which is uh, genuinely appreciated. In terms of growing up, were there any cute clues in your formative years that did you like to go into events or travel as a career? Yeah, no, I was always in events and travel uh, in a kind of weird way. I mean, my, my in a kind of funny way is like um, I, um, I actually study finance. So I would have meant to be as an investment banker, but I work in a bank. I didn't like it. I worked for the Ministry of Finance in France, and and there was a department that was in charge of the promotion of France via live events. And I applied for the job. I got it, and here I was at 25, basically organizing travel trade show. No, sorry, um, uh, um, French pavilion at exhibition all around the world from. Uh, uh, fashion to food to didactic to uh, you know every single industry is possible and uh, and then I did a big event in Dubai uh, back in 1992 when Dubai was uh, you know few hotels and a lot of sand and 
the, the, the vision of um, uh, the Emirates was, was there, but it was like a very nascent step. So I did a big event there, and I was headhunted by the government of Dubai to become uh, the deputy directors at the uh, tender age of 26 uh, of the operations in uh, Paris to bring investment, and uh, which I did. So my goal was to you know, come back, to try to get CEOs, to make sure that they can get interest in the Jubilee prison and so on. And one day they said to me like, well, we also like you to be in charge of tourism. And I was like, well, I'm not too sure. I was like, uh, you know, that's not what I've done. And, and I really got to like it. So all of a sudden I had a background of um, knowing events very well, uh, knowing tourism very well. Uh, and I moved to London and I was in charge of the marketing of a show called Airbnb Travel Market for real exhibition companies. And, uh, and obviously I knew a lot of people in Dubai, so it was kind of busy for me. And, uh, and then I worked for Reed, which was excellent years of formations. I really enjoy um, working there. And after uh, three years, I decided like, well, I want, it was the internet boom. So I created an, uh, a luxury travel agency online uh, that was called at the time dreamking.com. And, uh, but I was working, you know, 15 hours a day. And, uh, and at one stage I said, like, I need to find something else. And I thought like, okay, what do I know very well? Luxury travel and travel exhibition. And I thought what, Maybe there is something for luxury travel exhibitions. You know, it sounds like it sounds like not too big of a step to link the two together. And I looked, there was nothing of that kind in the world. Uh, I also realized that uh, the world was changing because the the we, we leave from you know the the um, from the beginning when there was the seven four sevens. You know, the destination change. The destination was first. Uh, you know, going to a country and then we, the, the hotel become a new destination. Yes. So you had almost like, you know, the, the hotel become the new Fendi bags. <laughs> and, uh, and, and also, you know, 2000 is the first time where uh, first generation millionaires at numbers innovated money. So it, it created a year in 2001 when I created the, the event whereby there was a lot of dynamics that were about to, that we can see that this, you know, this luxury travel segment we're about to explode, that it was like, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, the luxury travel segment was not, you know, the Ritz or, you know, the Dorchesters. It was also a lot of boutique hotel. It was a lot of small concept and so on. So uh, we, we realized that, you know, entrepreneurs are risk takers and they wanted to also take risk when it comes to the consumption of travel. And they wanted to find things that could be very different. So they could, you know, some people want something classic, some people very designy and so on and so on. So hence the concept was born and, and we did it in Cannes because we wanted to have something that's got a bit of a cachet on an <laughs> international level. And, and when you think Cannes, you think obviously uh, uh, the Cannes Film Festival, which is the second most mediatized event in the world uh, after the Olympic games and even before the World Cup. He's got the most accreditation of journalists. And, and therefore, he just created this kind of a new glamour and so on. And it was also, uh, in, in many ways, we were, uh, you know, an event that was actually quite tragic, change everything in travel was 9-11. Because before 9-11, you could almost say that 50% of uh, all luxury hotels had American customers. Mm -hmm. When 
Americans stopped traveling, you know, they all of a sudden all these hotels had to find new customers. And that's why they were very interested to come to a show that happened in 2000. And, you know, we launched it basically uh, just after 9 11. Yes. And, uh, and basically in, in 2002, when there was the first editions, everybody wanted to find alternative to the American travel agents. And uh, obviously they wanted to see the American travel agents, but they also wanted, they were interested all of a sudden by people from Russia, people from other countries. And, uh, and that's how the show exploded very quickly because it was a kind of a new offering when they were used to think in a very monodimensional way and think probably, you know, US first, UK second, and then a few countries in Europe. That was more or less the, 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 the print at the time. And can makes a lot of sense because of the climate as well, even though that the show date was December, it still has a very pleasant, you might need a sweater in the evening, but still the, the rest of the climate, perfectly acceptable to, to walk in the morning in a suit jacket and not be cold and still have the, the feeling that, you know, you're not quite in the summer, but still beautiful to be on the Cote d'Azur at that time of year. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely reset to uh, be in a place where, you know, in the morning, you've got the fresh air, fresh marine air, which, you know, when you have been out until two o'clock in the morning, sometimes is, is very healing. And, um, and it's a lovely place. I mean, it's, it's still uh, a place that I love. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've got a lot of great friends there as a result of uh, all what we did, uh, including the mayor of the city, which is an amazing person. And um, yeah, so it, it, was, it was an amazing time. And you obviously can be controlling what's going on in the Palais at the event, but the rest of that backdrop is all luxury also, with obviously the, the boutiques, the Ferraris, the Lamborghinis, and the, the grand hotels that are all there. It's just a, a genius location for what was a, a, a great event that you launched. It was perfect because obviously the Croisette is, it's in itself, is a kind of a theatre set. You've got some great hotel on the front of the sea. You've got a magnificent Palais de Congrès. And, uh, and you've got all these luxury, obviously, shops, you know, on the, on the cross themselves and some super yacht not very far. So, um, yeah, no, it, was, it was an amazing uh, backdrop. And then, obviously, it had great attendance from the U.S. because the U.S. buyers would come over. But you're talking about hoteliers then looking further afield and you took the show to Shanghai and, and ILTM Asia, which again was tremendous timing with China outbound being on the upswing, but also with Southeast Asia and other parts of the world also gonna be attending this show. So it, it's possible to talk a little about how, how the launch of, of ILTM Asia came about and, and your th thoughts reminiscing of your time in Shanghai. Yeah, so we, we uh, that should took place the first edition in 2007. So I uh, started to do the market research from late 2005, I think. And uh, obviously at the time I have already sold uh, ILTM, but uh, you know, it was part of the basket in many ways. And, uh, and uh, we, uh, so I work as um, a consultant uh, for them to actually launch the show. And um, yeah, it, it was, once again, it was a fabulous year because, you know, China was uh, said to be um, the biggest consumer of luxury products in the world. Uh, you know, it was already competing with uh, the likes of Japan. We used to be the, the first 
consumer of uh, luxury goods in the world. Um, so there was there was a tremendous expectation about what that customer could be, and it, it people didn't know how to get there. And uh, for us, it was very much uh, about uh, you know trying to find an organized an organized way to find those buyers across the region. And uh, with a particular spotlight on on China, there was you know opening up to the world in many ways. Uh, and where people we started to get interested by them. So we, I, I think we, you know, we, we, yeah, it, it was it was like being a pioneer and being, a, you know, part of the far west and uh, and breaking some kind of a, a new ground into new territories. Uh, and likewise, with lovely partner there, uh, uh, lovely support from the authorities, uh, lots of well wishing. So we, we always felt like it was it was a very, I mean, and Shanghai is a beautiful city. I, I remember, I th I'm not sure if it was the first or second year I attended, but there was a, a wonderful opening keynote speech from the Louis Vuitton director for China. Yeah, I remember, and the, and I remember the, it very well. The numbers and the statistics were just mind-blowing because, as you said, that China were, were number one or set to become even surpassing the competition by a long way in terms of luxury goods but he was very kind to share so many top level, high level statistics. And I had, I returned to Dubai with a thick notepad and it was almost 80% of what the top executive at Louis Vuitton had said. And, and then fantastic business leads from all around the world from such a great show. I remember he had some, um, he had a great, um, I remember very well that speech and he had a great soundbite from, you know, the show of Mao to the show of Yao. Uh, yes. He also said that you know don't read uh, don't read um, don't judge a book by its cover. Yes. And, and the Western world is comparing China to Western Europe. I'm comparing China yesterday to China today, and say so it's the, the speed of change is, is phenomenal. And uh, yeah, th there was there was a lot of very fascinating moment in that speech. I remember it very well. Thank you, Serge. And, and post ILTM and post uh, the the sale to read, you set up. Pure life experiences and pure in Marrakesh, which is uh, extremely exclusive, experiential, and I think you only have to look at the the dress code and the commentary, and you see that it's not traditionally suit and tie. It, it's more to do with the uh, the whole experiential lifestyle. Can you talk a bit about how how the idea for pure came came about, and then deciding you're going to take it to Marrakesh? Yeah, so there were there was few things. Um, that, there was few things in my mind. You know, there, there, there is few things that you, you you read and then you connect the dots. So for me, there was a uh, there was a succession of things where you start to you've got a hunch, and then you know everything formulated themselves. So I think it was about. Uh, so we launched the show in two thousand and eight for two thousand nine. But I think in 2006, I mean, around 2006 and 2007, a few things happened. And I, I went on a safari with my father that was not very well at the time. And, uh, and, uh, and I really saw, you know, it was with my mother, but I really saw what travel can do in opening the eyes of someone and, you know, having the capacity to every day think I'm living something new. It, it really came as a, revitalized persons and you know i really thought like well travel has really the power 
to change someone's life path. So that was one thing that was very much in my mind. And then the second thing is that I realized also that uh, there was, uh, I think in 2007 or 2006, but Vanity Fair had uh, the first, which was called the green issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was like all of a sudden being green and sustainable was a marketplace. People are, you know, it was no longer for kind of a, a left-wing liberal. It was very much a kind of a mainstream idea that you need to do good, you need to be sustainable, you need to save the planet. Obviously, I, I took a plane and I was shocked to see, you know, the, an inconvenient truth that was also mm-hmm. kind of a big impact. So, and, and then I realized that uh, in many ways, the, the concept of destination was changing again. So like I was saying before, is that the destination was a country, then the destination become a hotel, you know, the, the new destination where branded hotel. And now the destination was very much um, the experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and by putting all these things together, we said we really want to have a show which is about life-changing experience, but, uh, by people who want to do it with a force for good. So mm-hmm. it's not only they, they, they're not going to compete on the best service, the best, you know, the best design, uh, although some of them have all this element of that, but it's really how they're going to alter your life path. So we, mm-hmm. we define experiential travel as, um, and I remember like I wrote it yesterday, but it was 10 years ago. <laughs> it was important for us to have a mission, which is like, um, you know, it's a sojourn away from home that involves an individual in an experience that can be uh, uh, physical, uh, cultural, um, uh, uh, natural, or spiritual, that will profoundly alter his life path and will allow him to better connect with the world and his loved ones. So for us, that's the prism to which we choose the people we wanted to have. And very often people say, well, I can't come say, well, explain me how you fit with that code. So if you explain to me how you're gonna alter the life path of someone, then we will take you on board. And obviously, because we have that quote, which is the trying to find all these properties that in many ways didn't have a place. And I think that's one thing where we'll say, like we always gave a home to people we didn't have a home or, or we created a, a cathedral where these people could basically gather or, you know, or kind of a place of worship where people can actually gather and feel that, yeah, I belong here because nobody used to hear my voice. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that I've always been interested to try to find a location that resonates with the theme. So, you know, Cannes for LTM was a very good place to resonate because obviously uh, Cannes was a luxury destination. LTM uh, uh, Asia was also uh, Shanghai, because Shanghai was in the spotlight, a kind of a new way of what was about to happen. So you need to find this resonance. And, and I was therefore looking for a place that really defined uh, experiential. So I wanted to find a place where people used to travel to have their life totally altered or changed. Uh, and, and obviously, Marrakesh is part of this kind of a beatnik kind of a destinations alongside Penang and uh, Kathmandu and uh, Doha, uh, Goa. And, uh, and so on, you know, and, uh, and uh, so for me, I, I really thought that, you know, this is the place where the Rolling Stone went, Jimi Hendrix, the Gilly families, the, a lot of people from Timothy Levy and a lot of people from the beatnik generations, uh, you know, Paul Bowles and so on, they all went there 
to kind of reset themselves. And we thought, well, it would be lovely to have it there because it's it's got this, you know, kind of a heritage. The second thing is that it's probably the most uh, exotic destination close to Europe. Mm -hmm. And it's got this kind of amazing, you know, uh, uh, deconstructed uh, kind of a luxury whereby it's, it's, it can be both beautifully chaotic and perfectly harmonious. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you go to hotel like La Mamounia or Ramonso, you're talking about probably some of the finest of example of hospitality in the world. And then you'll go to the Medina, which it's, it's a kind of a, a, you know, I call it harmoniously chaotic, but it's got a charm that it's very mm -hmm. difficult to replicate. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been in love with the destinations. I've actually got married there. And <laughs> because I'm, this is a place I can, you know, probably call home. And I feel home whenever I'm there. And, and that's why we choose it in the first place. And you must be very proud looking at Piwa and, and just the, the pride that people have in having attended or on social media when they're actually at the event. It's such a, a badge of honour for people to have attended that event. And uh, anyone that you speak to globally, whether a hotelier or supplier or on the, the exclusive media that would be there, when you, when you talk about Pure, the, the level in industry is just... Uh, held in the very highest regard. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think it comes from the fact that, look, we, we you know, the, the, we did a bit of a soul searching for our company about two years ago when we rebranding ourselves. And it's not something that we say because, you know, it looks cool, but we try to explain in many ways what we're trying to do. And we say that, you know, our role is to really uh, turn industries into inspired communities one immersive experience at a time. And, and, and I think that, you know, one of the, a lot of people go to shows and, you know, they go because it's big, because it's, you know, luxurious, because it's, you know, you have to be there. But at Pure, there is a real spirit of community. Mm -hmm. So, and, and in many ways, we are, you know, we always say like, look, we, we are not, uh, you know, if Pure was Star Wars, we, we're not Luke Skywalker, we're more like Yoda. <laughs> you know, we, we need to, and, and all our customers are actually the Luke Skywalker, mm -hmm. and, and we, in many ways, the you, you know we, we are almost like the guardian of the Jedi traditions. So we we, we almost created it, but we, we want people to be their own Jedi in many ways, and I think that's, and that's I think what people love in Pure is they feel that there is a real family, there is a common grounds, there is a real friendship. Uh, people really help one another. It was it was amazing that when we did a digital event, people say, well, you know, the great thing is that when there was this pandemic, the first people I turned to was people from Pure because I know they will listen or I know they will help. Um, I know people who have borrowed money from one another just because they are from Pure. They didn't know each other before, but they thought like, I can trust that person because he must be a good person because he's part of Pure. So there is this element. And, and I think that for us, we... You know, I think we have been one of the precursor, at least in travel, in the festivalizations of uh, events. Mm -hmm. And for us, we always say, like, look, most of our competitors are in the dating business, and we're in the falling in love business, mm -hmm. which is very different. So we, for us, is about we spend a lot of time. How can we create the conditions for people to fall in love with one another? So it's, you know, you probably put a bit of magic, give people a glass of champagne, and you know, a bit of candles. A lot of it is about creating the theater that makes people comfortable enough to 
drop their mask. And I think that's what, when people come to Pure or Summer Vive and they feel very comfortable because they don't have to pretend, they don't have to, uh, you know, everyone is the same. We've got the same stand for everyone. Uh, we try to make sure that there is you know, total equality between people. So it's, it's an amazingly humbling level playing field. And, uh, and I think that some of the people who are very senior and important file, uh, they love the, 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 the fact that they can be blend. And, and some of the other people feel that they can rub shoulders with people who are quite important in the business. And uh, so it makes for a very um, a gentle, generous, and uh, forward-thinking kind of a, a mindset. And, and I think that's what we all aspire to be, you know, mm-hmm. or aspire to be part of. Uh, and I think that's what is lovely. Like, I think people trip, generally feel that by coming to Pew and discussing with other people, they come back not only with great business, but they come back better business people and better people at all. Well, it's so far removed. If you go onto any website and look at the the itinerary and how much time you spend, it's not just two and a half days in a 10,000 square meter <coughs> conference hall, right? It, it's from the, the moment you arrive till the end of Pure, there's so many different events going on that you perfectly encapsulated. There's far more opportunity for seduction and falling in love rather than yeah. rather than the first day being extremely busy at a trade show and then everyone leaving after lunch on, on day three. It's it's totally exactly. different. You know, I, I love the fact last year we had this uh, community day where we, we took people basically, you know, uh, digging irrigation system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we had 30, 50 people that attended and they loved it. Mm-hmm. Because they felt they were doing something great, so you know, imagine 30, 50 people doing a good deed. You just create some incredible bond because you know, at the end of the day, is that look, I think that you know what has happened for the last hundred years, or maybe not hundred years, or maybe hundred years, but you know, when people started to you know get in suits and have briefcase and, and you know have a tie. It's a kind of a weird thing in many ways. Like, you know, business was based on you, you do business with people you trust, you trust people you like, you like people you experience things with. So for us, it was like, no, we, we, we're going to help you to drop the mask and we're ha- going to help you to actually create situation where you're going to trust one another very quickly by making you part of an immersive experience that will make you feel that this is kind of a giant Christmas party for the very best that you know, the very best smile and the most progressive matter travel can offer. Yeah, thank you, Serge. In terms of limited edition Miami, Ellie, Ellie Miami being design-led, more more lifestyle than exper- experiential, but still for trendsetters, for trailblazers, what was the uh, the foundation and process behind that concept? And obviously there's a lot of passion when you pick the location did, did, was there a similar thought process when you went to Miami? Exactly. So, so basically we realized that I was actually doing research on another project. And then I realized that there was all this kind of a, Ellie uh, Miami actually stands for limited editions. And there was a lot of limited edition projects. They were appearing, you know, they, they were one of a kind and they had a very particular point of view on, on the world in many ways. And, uh, and all of them have a genuine artistic point of view. And, um, and then we realized that 
actually all these other you know luxury shows were not catering for them and and we came to a parallel where you, you know in the um, uh, at, at, when there was um, you know before the impressionist um, so in the 19th century what happened is that if, if you were an artist you can only go to a place called le salon okay and uh, and the salon was a, a place where you can only register your art there, display your art there, if you're doing, I think, a portrait, uh, steel object, or, or you know, nature. And, uh, and that was it, so nothing else. So a, a bunch of, um, you know, uh, artists, and, and some people were like, you know, it was like a death uh, warrant if you were not admitted in, in Le Salon. And, uh, and some people committed suicide because they were rejected. And, uh, and a bunch of artists decided that uh, they will not go into the sun, they're gonna create their own fair. And, uh, and they created their own fairs and uh, a critic went them and said that they were, they were trying to impress people, therefore they were impressionists. And um, so we, we thought a parallel like, well, maybe we need to create something for these incredible artists that have a very different point of view and they don't want to be associated with the traditional luxury. Obviously they don't fit into pure. They, they've got, they kind of a rebellious spirit in the world of travel. And, and we need to create something that resonates with that. So we, we say that they were rebel with the cause and, uh, and each of them have a different cause, whatever it's like, you know, uh, connected with music, connected with art, connected with fashions. And we look for a place that resonate very much of that element. Uh, and, uh, and I think the story of Miami was actually perfect once again, because Miami was, uh, you know, placed, uh, uh, created for old people, uh, rebuilt with the money of drugs, <laughs> and uh, that become a bit of a, you know, violent city. And but that we found this mojo probably thanks to Art Basel and <laughs> become uh, a place where art is changing everything. Uh, and I really thought that Miami has this unique quality that it's it's almost like. A, a, you know, for me, Miami is a bit like an Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. It's very much like pop art. And, uh, and I think that some people say like, well, Miami, I don't understand that. And my, my view was to say like, like, it's a bit like Andy Warhol. It's, it's, so sh it's shallow, but it's, it's because it's so shallow that it's so deep. You know, it's a true original. Mm -hmm. it's, yes, it's, if it was a painting, it might not be a Rembrandt, but Andy Warhol never wanted to be a Rembrandt. He wanted to have this and this post-industrial pop arty kind of things. And, and Miami really epitomized that. On top of it, uh, the, Miami is probably the greatest concentration of luxury boutique hotel, Square Meadow. And uh, so it was very much perfect to be a kind of a showcase of what we wanted to do. And, uh, and, and we love lovely sunny locations. And you know, doing a show by the beach in, in Miami has been lovely. And once again, we've got some very dear friends and that's a place I always feel, you know, grateful to visit whenever I go there because I think it's it's a pretty exceptional place with pretty exceptional hotel actually. Thank you, Serge. In terms of the the design and lifestyle sector, it's obviously growing considerably. Um, one of the fastest growing sectors. If you were to epitomize LE Miami in terms of what what kind of hotel would encapsulate that, you've you've mentioned some great art examples would there be a couple of hotels that you would say oh if you see that that's a great representation of 
Ellie Miami? Yeah, well, I, th I think that, you know, obviously hotel like uh, um, uh, Edition Hotels and Firm Dells, or, you know, obviously what Soa has does, uh, um, you know, all these hotels will basically have a very kind of a lifestyle concept. Mm -hmm. My with a great service, uh, a great example of what LMID stands for. Excellent. Thank you very much. In, in terms of all the shows you've done to date, one of the things that, that I've always been quite aware of is you, you obviously get sales managers and directors and, and professional salespeople that are there, but you always have also extremely high people in terms of the hierarchy, whether vice presidents, managing directors, travel agency owners, and, and so on. What do you think it is about the events that you've put on that's been able to attract such senior figures to get out of the office and actually come to, to attend your shows for the full dura duration? Well, I, th I think it's that, um, look, I've never been to uh, any of my show without uh, not returning with a different view of what the industry should be. So I take myself as an example is that, you know, when you take some of the greatest minds and you put them in an environment which is very special, which is very welcoming, very warm, but also very much in tune of what this is all about. So pure, when you go to pure, you, I mean, your mind will change. You'll feel just a better person and you'll be totally connected with, you need to be sustainable. You need to give back. You need to make sure that um, you know you you give jobs to the local population and so on and so on, and uh, so you 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 know your mind will totally change and you will see things to a different prism and this will be reinforced after every single di uh, discussion. In the same way, if you go to El Mami, you will live and breathe, you know, trying to become artistic, forward-thinking, uh, original, uh, rebellious, uh, have a point of view, have a mission, as a statement, have a cause. It will be at the forefront of what you think. And, and I think that people go there just to, I think in many ways people go there not only for the people, but it's, it's a reminder of their own mission. It's, it's, they will get new ideas because the, the fact is that I'm a great believer that, uh, you know, creativity is never a linear process. You know, creativity is based on the accidental conversations. But, but you need to have a prism that helps you to define that conversations. And, and the, the prism when you go to Ellie will be very much about, as I said, being creative, adding a point of view, being original. And, uh, and that's the kind of conversation you will have with other people. And I think it's important for senior people to have those conversations, to re-energize themselves in their own role. And I think that what, what I've seen with a lot of people who come to events it's, it's very much not only about growing the business, it's, it's for them to grow as a leader and mm -hmm. to grow as a person. Uh, and I think that's why people are coming there because they feel that they don't want to miss out. And uh, not just for the formal thing, but they say it's a great opportunity for them to become you know, a better version of themselves. So we, we offer shows that are... Uh, amplify the people who are there, but also uh, find a way to optimize who they are and what they can become. Fantastic. So we are Africa, which is, it's in uh, Cape Town and Africa obviously as a continent is growing in importance and relevance constantly. In terms of experiences and plans 
is it at the capacity that that you'd like currently or is is there plans to to grow even larger because looking at the the map that you have it's incredible the the number the varied number of buyers that attend and, and which part of africa they're actually coming from well i think that's well at the moment we're probably at capacity mm-hmm. but, but let's not forget that a, a large bulk of um, african tourism is, is very much you know east part and south part yes uh, and i think that there is so many you know places such as gabon or and so on so on that are, are have a large tourism, but they don't probably don't have the high-end tourism that is required to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. But we think that's something that uh, will explode. A because uh, the nation will obviously are putting more and more infrastructure to make sure it happens, and they can really offer an, uh, an African experience that is you know second to none. But but also I think that we we are seeing more and more of intra-regional tourism. Mm-hmm. Which means that there will be more luxury hotel to accommodate, you know, African businessmen doing business with other African businessmen, and uh, in many ways, before the luxury tourism of Africa was very much from outside Africa, which is kind of a unique. But I think that we we will see more and more, uh, you know, African uh, uh, businessmen or African wealthy travelers traveling within Africa, and that therefore it will create. You know, another opportunities for uh, um, this market to develop. So we think that we'll see more new amazing product coming out of Africa in the coming years. Excellent. And in terms of Africa, it's it's clearly been on the tourism map for lots of markets for for a long time. But possibly the more mature and uh, the safari and the experiences that people people are aware are there any countries or visits that you've made personally that are a little under the radar that you would recommend um well well there is quite a few but i think that you know personally you know maybe i've been um not adventurous enough when it comes to africa and i've been to the traditional place such as you know botswana kenya tanzania and south africa and uh so probably needs to be more adventurous uh, in that part. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, there is, it, it's just an incredible continent and there is, and it's a huge continent with more than 50 countries. And, uh, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm guilty not to know Europe as much as I should be, even if I consider myself a European. So, uh, you know, I've, I've visited a handful of places there and I, I can't even say that I know the whole breadth of you know what you can see in Botswana, what you can see in South Africa, and that's what I think makes you know this continent interesting. And I've always said that uh, you know what is interesting is that the inbound tourism into Africa is um, more or less equal to uh, the tourism economy of Italy. So it's, you're talking about 1 billion people, 50 countries, arguably the greatest wildlife show you'll ever see on, the, on earth. Some incredible hospitality, phenomenal wine. You know, I mean, this is a country that's got it all. It's developed amazing population, incredible music, um, a, a art form, which is amazingly vi- vibrant and modern. And um, so I've always said like, it's, Africa is in many ways the hidden gem of international tourism. 
Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and this is a place that people will keep discovering uh, in the years to come. Thank you, Serge. On to, on to Asia. So further east, which you run in, in Bali, and it, it, it's, it's creme de la creme in terms of Asian resorts and DMCs and tour operators. Can you share some of the experiences that you've had to date? And, and similarly, is the, the plan to, to grow or again, is that at capacity? Because you've really, you've got the, the creme de la creme, like I said, you can't get any better hotels and resorts that, that currently that exhibit at further east. So, well, yes, I think we, we love obviously to expand. I think we, we think that it's got the capacity to have about 300 exhibitors as well. Mm -hmm. um, the reason for us is that uh, we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, once again, we wanted to do a show in a different way. And, and we wanted to say that, you know, Asia is an incredible place where uh, there, is, uh, there is a real spirit that comes from Asia. You know, a, a lot, in many ways, the, 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 the Western world is trying to imitate a lot of things that come from that part of the world. Uh, you know, whatever it's yoga, meditations, you know, ayurvedic, ayurvedic food, uh, you know, is connection with nature. I mean, you know, Asia has got it all. But so when you look at the, when you know that probably in 2019, 2018, half of the top luxury hotels were, you know, opening in Asia, you realize that there is, there is a huge marketplace over there. So now we think that there'll be, there is a great potential. Uh, I think we want to go to, our goal is in um, 2021, actually, to have about 200 exhibitors, from 121 to 200 exhibitors, and we think we can, we can get there. Uh, because the fact is that when you reach 200 exhibitors, you get a magic number whereby you've got a real ecosystem. It's very solid. Uh, there is enough people to create, to make a dent and to create a movement. And, um, and in many ways, we wanted to eschew a lot of the, traditional cities where we could have been to, uh, not because we don't like them, but we wanted to find a way to be, you know, in the sense of what we have always done, like a true original. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that's why I've always, you know, I'm, I'm probably um, uh, a spoiled child in many ways. I only choose destinations that I love, but <laughs> destinations that are easy to work with. But, you know, I'm a huge lover of Bali. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my, my wife said she fell in love with me when we were in Bali. So obviously it's, it's probably added a bit of a romantic thing into it. Uh, I, I was probably helped in seducing it by, you know, the fact that we spent a lot of time in Bali. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, eternally uh, uh, grateful to uh, Bali's backdrop for, to make this happen. And, um, but, and, and I think we found an amazing place, you know, in Seminyak, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we claim that straight of beach and, uh, and we've got like hotel back to back supporting us and, and we create something which is really special. You know, our role was to say it's a barefoot travel trade show. Some people decide not to take their shoes on uh, during the entire uh, shows because they want to embrace the spirit of it. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a lovely, surreal, amazing places. And I've got so many flashbacks of us doing, you know, awaken or conference where this incredible sunset at the potato head that was, yeah. you know, truly magic and people seeing people being so happy and relaxed about the whole event. Well, I, I 
I would never bet against you on destinations that every show that you've done and you've spoken a little about the formula and it, it obviously adds so much where you said it could be possibly easier to do in a Singapore or Hong Kong and so on but it really wouldn't have the feel the spirit and everything you're you're looking to achieve so Bali and the, the beaches of Seminyak uh, perfect fit for that show. Yeah and it was funny because a lot of people was saying that and that's the thing which is interesting is that a lot of people told us like, well, it's a bit risque because, you know, in Asia, people are quite traditionalist. And we're like, well, it's true. But, you know, we, we believe also that we are the travel industry. We are the dream industry. We are the love industry, the happy industry. And we need to create that aspect to, we're not that, we need to resonate with people who are like-minded people. Uh, and therefore we took the risk to, to add this attitude and, and I think it paid off because people feel extremely comfortable and, uh, and, uh, and extremely relaxed to actually conduct business. Thanks, Serge. This, this is beyond. I saw the announcement maybe a couple of weeks ago on, on uh, LinkedIn and seen some of the, the web pages and, and so on. It, extremely exciting development. Are you able to give a, a little overview for luxury travel and tourism fanatics who have been to one of the editions of some of your shows and are big fans of This Is this is Beyond. Are you able to articulate what the Private Members Club is all about? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so for us, we look, we had this vision in many ways for the last three years, but I think we've been too busy or lazy or you know whatever happens, but we're like, oh, yeah, we'll think about tomorrow. But we, we wanted to have this vision of... Um, you know, we wanted to be more than a travel trade show organizer. And we, we hate when people tell us like, oh, you organize travel trade shows. Like, it's really <laughs> hurt me. It's like, a, you know, this discussion with the notary say, oh, you do trade shows. Like, yes, you're in the sleeping business. Like, <laughs> well, it hurts as well. You know, it's like, so, so for us, it was like, we say is like, we see ourselves as uh, organizing industries into inspired communities. That, that's maybe what we do. And we realized that it's great to have a community for four days, but what about the communities throughout the entire year? So that was something that was always in our mind. And uh, we didn't think of doing it in a digital fashion at the beginning, because we always thought about, you know, we are all in the physical space, but obviously in many ways that uh, we realized that 2020 will be a digital world. And uh, so it, it's forced us to reimagine everything we wanted to do. So the idea is very much to say that, look, we have been building communities for many years. And in many ways, we've got a community for Pure, we've got a community for We Africa, we've got a community, and they are very much operate in silo. And where we know that creativity is based on cross-pollinations and adoptions of best standard or best practice across industry. So it could be the same between people coming to Pure and coming from any Miami. And, and very often people say, well, you know, we, we, we like to get, you know, the details of the people who come to the show. And we say we can't do it because of the Data Production Act. So we say, like, the, the first thing we want to create a platform where people can come in from all this community and meet with one another. So the idea is to create the greatest pool of luxury travel buyers and uh, the greatest pool of luxury travel supplies that, you know, money can buy and they can be together and know that they are they are part of a club where they are very much the best that can be offered when it comes to hospitality. 
then we wanted to make sure that these people can uh, leverage their own contact with one another for their business. And obviously, when you'll be there, you can you can basically uh, take you know book appointment with people. We've got integrated Zoom calls, so you can book it. It will create a Zoom uh, things. So for somebody who, for example, wants to go to New York, he can create all his trip, you know, in New York in the space of a few hours, uh, knowing that he won't be called calling people, uh, but it will be people that will be well wishing because they're also part of the club. Uh, people will be also to do. Uh, uh, with some press release, uh, promotions. Uh, we'll have, you know, we see journalists there as well. So journalists will be able to say like, that's the theme they're working on so people can contact them. Uh, people will be able to do the press release and the press can uh, look into it. So there'll be a lot of what I call, um, you know, marketing opportunities created by the platform. But the real thing of it is that, which we're gonna develop from January is we're gonna try to do events uh, and these events will be digital or physical. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we there will be small. We want them to make quite intimate events because we think that. So it could be you know we'll be organizing from January. It could be a digital dinner when you have a somebody in you know in Paris and somebody in Oslo and somebody in Cape Town discussing about a topic. It could be you know pricing strategy for 2021, for example. And, and we can have maybe an expert from Cornell Universities talking about that aspect and discussing in privacy with the CEOs. And then we can publish a white paper on the, the, the aspect without uh, uh, giving the name to everyone. We can organize a skiing weekend for C-suite you know, uh, executive. We can, you know, and so on and so on. So there'll be a lot of small little events that are gonna be created. And this event will happen around the world because we'll, uh, uh, we'll be relying on a vast network of, you know, trusted friends to make them happen, and uh, and we think that uh, once again, it's we want it to be a platform that allow people to grow their business, but also grow as a person. So it'll be like a we want people to every Monday log in, say, oh, I want to go to that event, and I want to attend that workshop, and uh, you know, whatever it's physical and digital. So for us, we we realize that look, we love live events more than anything else but you need also to rely on the quality of a medium whenever it's there. And the quality of digital is, it creates um, uh, ubiquitous opportunities where people can similarly be at different places at, diff at the same time by um, having this kind of a connection that we have been used to, to do with Zoom. So, so that's a great plan for us. Uh, and because of that, we'll be launching new shows and uh, which I can't talk about. Nope. We've got uh, three shows in, uh, in creations. And the idea will be very much to close the circle of luxury mm -hmm. travel because at the moment we've got expansion of contemporary. Uh, we've got obviously, you know, Africa and Asia, but there is other sectors that we need to have to make sure we, we kind of have 360 degree views on luxury travel. And therefore it will make the club even more relevant because it will mean more suppliers and more exhibitors. Excellent. Uh, a question which you may not be able to answer then based on what you just said, but uh, you've launched shows in the US, Europe, Africa and, and Asia. Are there any cities or countries that, that would be on your, your target list? But based on your, your prior answer, it might not be a, a city or country you're able to disclose at this stage. Well, well I, can, I can say we're looking at doing two shows in Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I wouldn't say where. 
No problem. And, um, but uh, I would say it's more like Southern Europe than, uh, but we, we're thinking about doing uh, two shows, quite like two radically different projects, very different theme. Uh, but I love to do something in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because that's a place I love, but we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have a, a, a place there. So I guess that if we do these two events plus a show in Latin America, we'll be almost everywhere because we'll be, you know, in the APAC regions. They have, we've got two shows in Africa. <clears throat> we've got one in the US, or two in the US with the one in Utah. And, uh, and we'll have two in Europe as well. So that, that, that would be the plan. But, but each time we want to make sure that if, if it's the location is to reso- resonate uh, with uh, the concept and be something pretty magical and pretty unique. So as your tremendous career, you can see has taken a good direction where you, you can understand where the food, the French food role and the trade show and Dubai and tourism, you can see how it knits together. But are there any personal skills or attributes that you think have most helped you develop such a successful career? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, well, first of all, I think that uh, I share with many of my fellow uh, uh, um, people in hospitality is like, I love to please, you know, which is kind of important. And, you know, when we, we recruit people, we always ask them like, do you prefer going out or do you prefer receiving people at home? Mm-hmm. And if people say, oh, I don't like receiving people at home, it's like, well, you're not for us then. Because we, <laughs> you know, for us, you know, I love receiving people at home and it costs me more money than going for dinner outside. And I know that when people leave, I probably have to clear up for an hour and a half. But I love the pain in many ways of being hospitable. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that the, the first requirement is you need to have that streak of being a good uh, servant to others and, and really enjoy it. And, and that's one of the quality I love in Asia is that, you know, in Asia, in the Confucius mentality, serving people is empowering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's the first quality you need to have. Then the second thing is that uh, personally, I've always been curious about things and think how think things link with one another. Uh, and that's that curiosity of thought that in many ways, you know, we, we have never invented anything is that, but we saw that uh, there was all these things happening, but they, 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 there was not a home for them. So I think that we, we've, we've been very good at not, in many ways, creating a movement. You know, I can't take credit for, uh, you know, all the people doing amazing sustainable, sustainable adventure holidays, but we coined the thing about experiential travel and I remember we'd read it people say like what, what is it and now everyone is talking like oh I'm in the experiential travel market and so on and so on but we, we created a kind of place of worship for people and uh, when they already existed and uh, and the same thing for Elimani and, and the same thing for you know we Africa because we Africa realized that you know in many ways Africa were not promoted in the right way because they were promoting themselves on their own cliche, but then I'm trying to find in themselves, you know, the quality and being proud of, you know, not only the heritage, but everything that they're doing new in terms of cultural innovations, entrepreneurship, which is pretty, you know, staggering and amazing. 
So we just created a place of worship for all these people. Uh, but it comes from being curious because you need to see that, you know, you almost don't like, oh, these people are sitting on the side. There is not a proper home for them. So rather than saying, so I think we've been very good at thinking on the fringe of the box, probably not outside the box, but we're always thinking on the side of the box and uh, which is probably where, you know, the opportunities are. Uh, and, uh, and I think we are incredibly passionate about what we do. You know, we think that, you know, we're running far more than a business. Uh, we are running something which is important for public service because uh, everything that we do as a, as a, as a purpose basically fuel our enthusiasm. So other people do shows because it's, you know, that's a business, you know, it could be whatever, and people get there and they make some money and everybody's happy. First, we, we are animated by a sense of purpose. And, uh, and I think that purpose helps us to be passionate about what we do. Um, but also to, uh, because there is a purpose, this purpose is no longer ours in many ways, it becomes the one of all our clients. And we have got very, you know, inspiring, inspiring conversation with our clients who tell us like what we should do to fulfill our mission. And, um, and I think we are quite, you know, and I have really hoped that, I think that, you know, we're quite humble uh, and, uh, and we're quite humble in the way that, like I was saying, which is written into my first point is that we're not dictating anything to anybody. Uh, we're not pretending to be their leaders. Uh, we are pretending to be, like I said, you know, we are the Yoda, you are Luke Skywalker. Uh, we're pretending, to, you know, the only thing we're trying to do is to safeguard uh, the, the spirit of that we have created, which is very much fueled by the enthusiasm of a customer uh, and making sure that they remains uh, the hero of the story and, and we remain the servant. And, uh, and that's something which is very important for me because I think that um, there is a degree of honesty in this. And, uh, and it's like I say, it's like we, we, we love to please. And, uh, and it's amazing just to say, when people tell us, thank you for what you have done, that's all what we need to make our day. Absolutely. Thank you, Serge. The, the final, final question, there, there are esteemed business professionals and various leaders who were enjoying Zoom and Microsoft Teams and so on that, they're talking negatively about the future of travel. So just, just to close, I want, wanted to ask if it's possible you could articulate the importance of human connections, accident, accidental collisions, and the need for travel to, to feed the human spirit and for, for everything else. Well, uh, yeah, I think that, look, you, the, I think people are, you know, people who are enjoying Zoom at the moment, um, uh, in many ways, mistakenly uh, forgetting that you know they, they are still benefiting from uh, uh, the the, uh, the force of inertia of the meetings that they had before. You know, it's because they had this meeting before that they can meet on Zoom and uh, and create something. Uh, the you know, I talk to my parents. I can't see them at the moment because they're in Paris. But our relationship was not born out of a Zoom call or out of a phone call. It was born out of the experience that we had together. 
and, uh, and the fact that we were kind to one another. And I think that, you know, what people need to understand is that, you know, business in many ways is, is far more than just transactional. And uh, business is, uh, for many people, a way of life. And it's fundamentally based on the notion of trust. Uh, and like I say, you, you trust people that you like, you like people, you experience something. And the stronger the experience, the more, the, the, the bigger the connections. And I think that I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm anti-Zoom in many ways. You know, we have this conversation on Zoom and it's great because otherwise it probably wouldn't happen. But the fact is that what happened is that on the contrary, I will say that Zoom is... Uh, uh, Zoom in many ways creating an, an extra premium on face-to-face -face contact. And you can make a parallel with, uh, um, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, stadium is a good example. Is that, you know, I don't think that the TV has killed um, football matches or football attendance. On the contrary, you know, the, the, the football tickets have never been so expensive. It's very difficult to get one. And, uh, and you know, you, you wonder why people would pay you know, 100 pounds for a ticket when they can pay 25p to watch it on TV. Well, that's not the same experience. You know, one, you are active participants in a kind of a magical coliseum that create the energy on which they have fit with feed. And on the other one, you're just watching it with your mates. And it's a kind of, a, it's a very different kind of a thing. And uh, in the same ways, it's like, I, you know, I was reading how, you know, a movie studio are trying to find a way to replicate the cinema experience because streaming is actually doesn't generate the kind of revenues that um, movie, movie theater does. So they want to create this kind of experience where we used to watch a movie and there was a great experience and just watching it with other people and having this silence and, uh, you know, rather than going to the fridge, getting a drink and, you know, being all casual created this kind of a magical aspect of discovering a movie together at the same time. So I think that the, 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 my view is that I've never been a great believer on uh, virtual reality, uh, apart from gaming, which is not, I'm not a great gamer, mm -hmm. uh, but, but you know, people say, oh, we're not gonna go on the days, we're gonna, you know, it's this vision of the world, which is totally synthetic. I think for me is totally alien to uh, what I believe the future is. On the contrary, I think that what this pandemic has teach us is we really aspire things that are genuine, authentic, and raw. And, and there is a reason why, you know, uh, in many ways, experiential travel has been so so successful is because we are returning. It's it's allow people to return to a place in time that was far less cynical, far more magical and far more natural. And we all, you know, long to that dinner by campfire, you know, and watching the stars and, uh, and uh, you know, being at the tree house because, you know, having this returning this kind of a magical infant quality that we used to have and, uh, because there was, you know, uh, part of evolutions is that we have enjoyed this moment for a very long time. And it's only very recently we enjoyed, you know, the internet and TV and smartphone and everything. These things are kind of alien to us and probably not very good for us. So what's gonna happen is that, you know, and I even heard that people say, 
we look, we all know that we spent on the bond, but I heard like a lot of people saying that, uh, you know, business travel and shows are going to disappear. And the, the thing is that when you look at something, A, I, I disagree for the quality you're going to have, but I think people are saying that because Zoom has created a kind of an awful level playing field, you know, whereby, you know, we used to entertain our clients, we used to compete with one another to make sure they had the greatest experience, that they feel great about us. But, you know, fast forward eight months from now, you know, what will happen is that do I really want to, you know, it's like, do you catch fly with vinegar? Are you really going to convince your, your, your clients that uh, you are the best person to deal with on a Zoom call when your competitors will be probably whining and dining them and taking the planes to have them for breakfast and taking them? And I think that other great friends will say to me, like, I can tell you that when my company allow me to fly, I will be on that plane. And I say, why? I say, because my competitors will be on that plane. And I've spent years nurturing these people, making sure they are my friends and away from their eyes, away from their hearts. So, you know, the fact is if you don't nurture this relationship, then this relationship will disappear. The trust will disappear and the business will vanish as well. So uh, that's my message to everyone is like, look, I think that what the pandemic has teach us is the world will be more human. Uh, it'll be more authentic. And actually, we'll be we'll have to drop the mask more than we ever done before. And I, I like we'll have to be more caring for one another. And the best way to do it is to have a face-to-face -face contact uh, and uh, spend some time together and uh, to really create a rich, vivid relationship. Serge, thank you so much for your time and and tremendous insights. It's uh, it's absolutely astonishing what you've achieved already, career to date, and look forward to hearing more about the three new shows and and god willing that we'll see each other at a show in 2021 or uh the very i'm sure we will i'm sure we will in the meantime have sure a super weekend and, and thanks ever so much uh, thank start. you for the opportunity